Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. When I was younger, coming out of high school into college, I had the opportunity to work at Universal Studios in Orlando, Florida. Among the couple of jobs I had there, one of them, I was a ride operator at Dudley Do-Right's Ripsaw Falls. Good times were had by all. It's a water ride. It's great. Um, but there was one particular role within that job that I just hated. It was called redemption, which is ironic given what I do now. But um, it, it, redemption was this position kind of in the middle of the line, a little bit closer to the front, where the people who had paid the extra money for fast pass and the people in the regular line came together and had to merge. And my job as redemption was to, you know, stop one line, send the other. And because the fast pass people had paid extra money, it was supposed to be like a three to one ratio, right? So the people in the regular line had waited upwards of an hour in the summertime while the fast pass people had just walked up. So there was already like this tension that existed at this particular position. But, but it wasn't terrible until the lights came on. See, we had in that area, there was like stage lighting. Uh, but every now and again, the, the house work lights would turn on. And that was bad news. Because that meant that one of my coworkers, one of the other ride operators, had pressed the big red button and emergency stopped the ride. Now, that happened for a number of reasons. Maybe it was a technical difficulty they couldn't clear. Maybe somebody jumped out of the boat, which happened way more often than you could ever imagine. Like we're talking multiple times a day, people. And so you'd be standing there and you'd be counting and people would be angry and all of a sudden the lights turn on and just your heart sinks. Because in order to, uh, what's the uh, procedure for the emergency stop, you had to evacuate everybody off the ride. In order to do that, every drop of water in the ride had to go away. And then you evacuated them off and then every drop of water in the ride had to come back before you started it up again. It took 47 minutes. That's an oddly specific number that obviously I know for a reason. And that's only if everything went well. So those lights turn on, and instantly I know that this group over here that has already waited in the heat for an hour and a half now have to wait at least another 47 minutes. And the last thing that I want to do is tell them that. I had some coworkers that would lie. They'd be like, oh, no, it's, it's not a big deal. We'll just get moving here in just a moment. Um, and they would lie and, and pretend like everything was fine, which didn't really work because then that person had to stand there with them as they eventually realized something is wrong over the course of 47 minutes. So usually I would tell them, hey, we just had to emergency stop the ride. We're going to be down for 47 minutes. Uh, that's when I learned how to juggle to entertain them. I'm not kidding. Uh, I also learned some great uh, Canadian trivia, because Dudley Do-Right's based in, in Canada. Things like, uh, did you know Nunavut is the most northern and the newest of the Canadian provinces? Or that Winnie the Pooh was originally from Winnipeg. He was a, based on a bear in the Winnipeg Zoo. I would tell them these things, and it did not help in the slightest. But... Um, <laughs> So we had to stand there for 47 minutes, and I wish that I, like, I was tempted to at least kind of stretch the truth a smidge, make them feel better. And as a preacher, I experience the same thing at times. I, I have this temptation to just preach happy things. Everything's going to be great. If you're encountering tough times in your life, just pray, and you'll be blessed. Think positive thoughts, dream it, do it, right? There's a temptation among every preacher because that's what gets crowds. People like to hear positive things. 
There are some preachers here in Houston that preach that way. Maybe they're at the old hockey arena. I don't know, not naming any names. And that's fine. It's fine to hear a positive message. Hear me loud and clear, especially heaven knows we need a positive message at times, right? But I often liken it to cotton candy, where like it tastes good, it gives you a little hit of dopamine, but you can't live off of it, right? You need something more with substance. And so as we looked at our readings today, plus an Old Testament reading that I'll, I'll share in just a moment, I saw that challenge, that challenge to, to share truth apart from perhaps what our itching ears want to hear, apart from the ever-positive, everything's-going-to-be-great message. And with that wonderful teaser, let's go to God in prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for this chance to come together and worship, whether here or online, wherever and whenever that may be. Lord, I pray that you would, you would speak your truth. You would speak to each and every one of us, and I pray that you would move me out of the way. This isn't about me, Lord. This is about you, and I submit myself to you, and I pray that all who hear these words would be willing to do the same. Lord, let your Holy Spirit be known, be heard, and be present. In your name, amen. Now, our Old Testament reading for our early service came from Jeremiah chapter 23. Here's what it says. This is chapter 23, beginning with verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say no disaster shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord and see to hear his word? And who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord, wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, and yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in a secret place so that even I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do not I fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart? who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams, and they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? He's a preacher. I wish that I could just preach peace and hope and love and and all the good stuff. I wish that I could just focus on the positive. I wish that I could say, oh, when it comes to, to eternity, you'll be with everybody that you've ever known. All your loved ones will be with you in heaven. But as we see in Jeremiah 23 that I just read, that is a vain deceit of my own heart. I am bound to the word of God to preach his truth. 
Isn't that whole like peace, love, hope thing, isn't that the message of Christianity? Well, we saw in our gospel reading, he asks a question, Jesus does, do you think that I came to bring peace to the earth? To the person who's been in church, most of us will be like, yeah. Did, did you not? Like, I'm pretty sure that's your whole thing. Isn't it, Jesus? Like, peace is your whole, like, that's what was said when you were born. That Peace be to you is what you said in your, that's basically what you were telling people when you were resurrected is peace be to you. You're known as the prince of peace. My Christmas wrapping has peace on it. That's for your birthday, buddy. Like, that's your whole brand. That's like saying, like, did Tom Brady come to play football? Did Taylor Swift come to write songs about breakups? Yes, that's what they do. So what about this Jesus thing where he says, no, I didn't come to bring priests, but instead I bring division. What is, what is that? Jesus, earlier in that chapter, Luke chapter 12, you just told us not to worry. But now you're going on and telling us that our family's going to be divided? What are you talking about here, Jesus? Well, he, he essentially is talking about eternity. Now, okay, some scholars believe that perhaps this is a reference um, to the Holy Spirit, right? The, the fire of the Holy Spirit uh, that we see at Pentecost come and descend, that, that he's looking for the word of God to spread, as we saw at the end of our Jeremiah 23 reading, that the word of God is like fire. Maybe that's what he's talking about. He wants to see the fire spread. Others speculate that perhaps this is an allusion to the harvest, uh, the idea of wheat and chaff, uh, that you have the wheat and you have to, to separate the wheat, the usable parts, away from the rest of the plant. And then once you have done that, you burn the field to prepare it for the next harvest, to get rid of all the old stuff that's left, right? And some speculate that's maybe what he's referencing there. And as, as an aside, when it comes to preparing wheat, you have to use tension to get that wheat out of the chaff. I'm not a farmer or anything. I had to look this up. Um, but then obviously to process the wheat, there's tension and I've seen it said that for Christians, uh, oftentimes God presses us with tension and puts us through this refining fire to schleff off what is bad in our lives. If you look at that in comparison to our epistle reading that we just heard earlier, um, and seeing this great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on as we go through this refining fire, as we endure the race. Enduring isn't necessarily a positive turn, and yet here we are, enduring the race. These great cloud of witnesses cheer us on. Perhaps that process of the tension that we go through as Christians, we are called to join in to that cloud of witnesses, also cheering others on as they go through that same tension. And we can say, hey, I've been there. I know it's terrible right now, but trust me, you can do this. I always laugh because you'll see people say like, oh, climbing Mount Everest is the greatest human achievement. It's, it's the biggest obstacle that, that mankind can endure to challenge your body, challenge your spirit, challenge your emotions, right? Um, which is great. It just don't tell the Sherpas that because they do it like dozens of times all the time, right? That's just what they do. That's their job. We as Christians in some way are called to be Sherpas. We've been there. We've been to the top. We've struggled through the ascent. And we can help you as you go along yourself. We join in with that great cloud of witnesses. That's not necessarily what Jesus is talking about here, but it's a little sermon within a sermon, right? What Jesus is talking about, to put a very fine point on it, when he says there'll be division, five and fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and mother-in-laws and daughters-in-law, which everybody was like, yeah, I get that one. That, obviously, Jesus, you didn't have to tell us that one, mothers-in-laws and daughters-in-law. What Jesus is saying 
is not everybody goes to heaven. Not everybody gets to join together in paradise. I wish that I could say that all would. As a preacher, I wish that I could say everybody that you've ever loved and do love now will join with you in paradise. However, as humans, we are given free will. And we're given the opportunity to reject God in his fullest identity, to reject the gospel of Christ. And when we do that, God allows us to. When we say we want nothing to do with God, he says, okay, if that's what you want. Keeping in mind that that separation from God means separation from all things good. Separation from, from light, from love, because God himself is love, as we see in 1 John. But if that's what you want, if you want to be separate from God, if you want nothing to do with the Almighty, then he's going to allow that to happen, and it will break his heart as it does. Note, this has nothing to do with the church. As a pastor, I've encountered enough people who have been disenchanted by this organization that we call the church, this man-made thing, this group, this clubhouse, because terrible things have been done in the name of the church. Terrible things continue to be done in the name of the church. People have been hurt by the church. But unfortunately, as they separate from the church, they far too often also separate from God. We're not the Catholic church. Salvation can be found even if you don't come to worship. What the church should be doing is we should be building people up, building up that relationship with God, helping them to enrich that relationship with God, and then receive without a question in your mind, without a a shadow of a doubt, the presence of God through this sacrament here, these sacred things that God offers us. That is the purpose of the church. But what we're talking about right now is your relationship with God. It's about you and him. Not about what you think about all the different organizations and denominations and different pastors and scandals and all that. No, this is about you and your creator. Here's the reality. Every single person in here will one day have a funeral for themselves or about them. One day, all of your family and friends will have to get their black suit dry cleaned. And maybe they find a, an old bulletin from the last funeral that they attended. At some point, your family is going to have to go in and meet with a pastor or somebody at a funeral home and recount the stories of your life, the highlights, write up an obituary. Somebody is going to be in charge of writing a little speech, a eulogy about you, how you lived your life. And hopefully, they'll be able to say, that is a life well lived. Look at all the things that they did. But more than that, way more than that, trust me, I've done a lot of these, way more than that is the ability to speak on hope that comes with faith. The ability to speak and say, I know for certain where they are right now. To be able to point to the gospel, to point to heaven, to point to the fact that they are celebrating with those who have gone before them in the faith. Hopefully, the person who gives that speech doesn't have to use vague terms and dance around, well, we don't really know where their faith was at the end. This matters. Perhaps to drive it even more home, because we're selfish beings, right? We kind of overlook ourselves at times. A lot of you have kids, maybe even grandkids. 
One day they're going to have a funeral too. What are they going to say about their faith? What are they going to say about their relationship to God? This matters. And there is an urgency to this. Because the reality is it's not proximity to faith that gets us into heaven. We believe that we are saved by grace through faith. Our faith in Jesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the fact that we don't reject all of that, that is what sets us free by the grace of God. This matters because this isn't just a matter of life and death. This is a matter of eternal life and death. The alternative is separation from all things that are good. And it's not just about, like, I, I was raised in the church, so I'm probably fine. Because what we see in our scripture reading and gospel reading today is there are families that we split apart. Maybe you have a family member, and you're not really sure what's going on there when it comes to faith. And that is heartbreaking. This matters. There is an urgency to this. We can come here and we can sing our songs and we can have all of our reasons for finding another place or for not coming, all of our excuses and say, well, I didn't like the way the preacher was dressed. I didn't like the way, the, the color of the carpet. I didn't like this. I didn't like that. Reality is this is about salvation. This is about the word of God speaking to us here today. This matters question is this, where do you put your faith? Where do you put your trust? What do you trust in? So many of us turn to the things of this world that have already failed us. We know that they're going to let us down. We put our faith in our bank account and how much money we have. We put our faith in the stock market. We put our faith in politicians. We put our faith in people. We put our faith in our job and our company and our loyalty. All these things have already let us down and we know are going to fail us. We put our faith in our identity and our reputation. We put our faith in our achievements. We put our faith in even positive things like family and friends. The reality is there is but one thing that will never fail you, and that is the almighty, all-powerful God. All those other things, they look great on an obituary, but they won't preach. Is your faith in those things that will let you down, or is your faith in the God whose name is literally I am, because he was, is, and always will be? His promise to you is that he'll never turn his back on you. His promise to you is that he'll never forsake you. His promise to you is that his love is for you always. His compassion is for you always. Oh, he'll give you the opportunity to say, I don't want this anymore, and it will break his heart. Where's your faith? What do you trust in? This matters. This isn't about, I don't believe in the songs we sing. This is about your eternal destination. This is urgent. Now, there is hope that can be seen in this. Because in verse 23 of our Jeremiah reading, he asks, am I a God at hand or am I a God from afar? We know the answer to that. We have a God who is Emmanuel, God with us. We have a God who entered into our world and he saw the struggle. He saw the pain. He saw how difficult it is from our limited, broken perspective to understand the complexities of having an almighty deity. 
He understands how hard faith is. And so he gives us every single day signs, whether it be a person in your life who keeps speaking to you. Maybe it's literal signs, God speaking to you. If you just take a chance to listen every now and again. He gives us the word of God. He gives a scripture that we can turn to, but instead it gathers dust until pastor's coming over, and then you blow it off and pretend like, oh, I read that every single day, yeah. He gives us these messages as long as we have the strength to listen, as long as we have the diligence and the courage to listen. What do you have faith in? Our God is with us. His truth will never fail us. His truth sets us free. Sets us free from pain and shame. Sets us free from our very sin that we commit every single day. His truth will set us free. It may not be exactly what we want. He may not give us our heart's desire, what our our itching ears want to hear, but it is what we need. The truth that you have sinned, but you've been set free because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Maybe Jesus did come to bring peace, but it transcends all our understanding, what we can even fathom. May that peace be with you. May it sustain you. And may you see the urgency of this message. Folks, this matters. God loves you. He loves all people, and he wants them to know that. He wants that to be our identity. He wants to set us free. May we find peace in that every single day. Amen.